And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome galactic empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars the greatest space fantasy of all. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 46. I am Chris Honeywell and I am here with the irredeemable Shag. Woohoo! And we'll be going over a couple Star Wars comics and an Indiana Jones comic. And once again, if you're a listener of the show, you've noticed there's no Scott Gardner. And um, Thank Thank goodness for that. And if you were you were listening to uh, if you listened to our uh, commentary monthly Monday at the end of last month, uh, Michael Bailey and I were bandying about a few uh, conspiracy theories. You know, there's uh, the possibility of hostile negotiations with Demanza Corp. Um, Michael is of got, the oh oh let, I, let me hear yours. Well, I believe he got abducted. Ooh, by who? I'm afraid I can't tell you that. Okay. Okay. Is do you have information that we don't have that you can't say, or is that just your theory? Well, I mean, I'm you, you know I'm in Florida, and he's right, in Florida, right? And, right. And you know we had some problems with the election. We know well, Florida is a messed up state too. I know. yeah. I'm just saying, I, I got to think that the uh, the person who won the presidential election may have just made some people disappear who screwed mm. up the election. I'm just saying that's just you know draw your own conclusions. All right, let me add that one to the to the list. Uh, Michael Bailey was of the opinion that uh, Scott found the head. I think you know the head we're talking what? about. You know the frozen head. Oh, you know. yeah. If you, if you found that, they're going to make him disappear quick. He found the vault. Either yeah. that, or they're going to make him like learn the secret handshake. Uh, my best case scenario mm-hmm. um, is is that it it. This happening so close to the Disney buyout of of Lucasfilm, yeah, that maybe they've tapped Scott to create the new the new uh, Star Wars gate at Disney, and they said Could Scott be. Gardner, you're the man who will understand the essence of Star Wars and make it reality. That's my yeah. pipe dream, and I'm sticking to it. The pipe well, and I mean- the dream. <laughs> It, it seems to me that, and this is just pure speculation, but you know Disney's sooner or later going to have to open a, a Star Wars type park. Oh yes, they are. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if you look at it, they're finishing up Fantasyland now, which pretty much ties up the girl market. They've got the girl market just completely tied up with a bow, and so they look around and go, "All right, time for the boy market." They already bought Marvel. They bought Star Wars. It would make sense for them to roll out something like, uh, you know, an Islands of Adventure type park, mm-hmm. 
with different quadrants, you know, a quadrant for Star Wars, a quadrant for Marvel superheroes, a quadrant for, you know, I don't know, uh, Toy Story or something like that, and or Pixar. And, uh, yeah, it'd be gangbusters, man. Well, anybody who wants to go to our Facebook page or email us at tutufreaks at gmail.com or go to our forum and uh, put up their conspiracy theories, I'll be... Uh, in future future episodes, I'll be um, throwing out other conspiracy theories as they as they roll in. Because honestly, we just we just don't know. We're trying to we're trying to suss it out. Maybe maybe it'll smoke him out a little bit. <laughs> well, well, now that Disney and, and Star Wars are so closely aligned, and Scott, you know, is known a bit through the Disney Corp through some of his coworkers mm-hmm. as having a Star Wars podcast. You know, maybe the neck came after him. The neck. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the being that has taken over George Lucas. Right. You know right. Lucas died. You know Lucas died back in 1987, right? Oh, really? And the, yeah, and the alien parasite that is his neck just <laughs> took control. I wondered uh, why there was so much, so many more cubic feet in that neck than there ever was. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a living pulsating thing. It's just been animating Lucas's dead corpse. <laughs> it's sitting in a little seat in there with some levers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like Men in Black. <laughs> Ah, that would that would definitely explain some of the acting in the in the prequels for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you stand there. You stand there. You're in love. <laughs> Talk now. Well, let's face it. If I was George Lucas and I was in a position of power, I'd be like, "Oh hell yeah, I want Natalie Portman on my set." I don't really care what she does. I'm just going to put her in some really tight clothing, and she can do whatever she wants. Now, do you think there was a scene earlier, like you know, or not a scene, but you know, there was you know earlier, like early on in the um, making of the the prequels when George Lucas took Natalie Portman aside? You, I must talk with acting motivation. And then like casting a casting couch, you mean? <laughs> yeah, well, it was a casting couch gone totally like Lovecraftian, where like you know the they end up making out, and then like a little fist comes out of George Lucas's mouth down and plants a seed in Natalie Portman's throat. Good God! Yeah, <laughs> you scare me once in a while, Chris. <laughs> you will act in Star Wars movies forever. <laughs> you do love. Anakin. And you know, yeah. you know where that, that where the mothership is, where the the biggest colony of of neck creatures is. Skywalker Ranch. Carrie Fisher. Oh, Lord, they've infected her. She's too. crawling with them. Oh God, that's just mean. <laughs> Not just that's the neck, mean. but the whole thing. Yes, and they crave aww, and they crave aww. cigarettes and and whiskey. <laughs> aw, she's had a hard life, and she's funny now. So be nice to her. Oh, I love I love Carrie Fisher. You know, I, I, I it was amazing how she turned into Penny Marshall over the, over the years. Oh, An amazing God. transformation. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> So what do you think? Do you think they're going to have the uh, original actors in the next trilogy? I, you know, I could, I could really probably grow to accept Mark Hamill. Um, Harrison Ford, just because he's been a dick all these years and all of a sudden he's like, hey, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> nah, never mind, you know. Carrie Fisher, I, like, like we just said, I, I I love Carrie Fisher. 
I don't want to see that Carrie Fisher's. I don't want to see like Princess Leia with you know um, Marge Simpson's sister's voice. You know, just like you know when your father and I met. <laughs> <laughs> in an asteroid field you know it's just not gonna you know it remember in the it happened a lot in the 70s and the early 80s when they would make movies with the the old actors who'd gone way beyond their prime or it happened a lot with the you know or even like with the pink panther after peter sellers died and they would drag some of the actors who used to be in the movie who were like 85 years old to reprise their role and you would have this stiff scene that was sort of, you know, they were all these scenes filmed out of context and at different times. And there were just these always stiff, awkward, trotting out scenes. I'm afraid it would sort of be, feel like that, you know, to um, maybe that's because I'm just a feared of uh I'm just a bit gun shy after the last three movies of, you know, bad <laughs> writing and bad directing. Because with good writing and good directing, you could pull it off. You know, I mean, and this segues totally into what I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to talk about before this is now that they've got Lawrence Kasdan on, hey, he wrote The Big Chill. But do we want to see The Big Chill with, you know, with, you know, three old friends get together after many years to, you know... In a galaxy far, far away, three old friends meet again. Well, we, you know, I mean, th- I think he wrote Empire, didn't he? Too? Oh yeah, and Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. I'm very right. He uh, in in all the excited talk about this that we've been doing in the last couple months, I've been dropping his name like crazy, going, "They got to get a writer like Lawrence Kasdan, someone who understands that uh, characters and how to put characters in a story and a good story and." And now they actually went and got Lawrence Kasdan. That's awesome. <laughs> well, well, my hope is that they they don't bring the, those three characters back. Um, me, I, me too. Not, not because of their, you know, it, Carrie Fisher certainly looks different, and but I don't mind. I think that'd be fine. They should just play an elder statesman, you know, or whatever. And I don't, I, don't, I wouldn't have a huge issue with that from an appearance point of view, but from character point of view, like you said, there it would have to be shoehorned in and the characters would be marginalized in an effort to play up the other characters. Because, you know, if they played the same action roles they played before, it wouldn't be believable. Much like Harrison Ford in the final indie movie. You know, it just it you you wouldn't really buy into Luke Skywalker as a near sixty year old guy running around. Um so the stories need to be about someone younger so that otherwise the you it just it would be shoehorned in. It wouldn't be very believable, and and it's hard to have Luke Skywalker in the movie. Him not be the main hero, you know, a yeah. Star Wars film that is. Well, then so it I, would, I would seem weird. It would seem very Christmas specially, you know, when everybody yeah. shows up and does their piece on Christmas specially and looks out of context. Yeah, what I am excited about. I mean, you have heard what the the crux of the next storyline is going to be, right? I ha- no, I haven't heard anything story wise about it. Oh, well, it, it's continuing the adventures of Mason Sindel. Which is really, I think, where the heart of the Star Wars universe lies. You remember the the family from the Ewok movies? Oh, yeah. So it, it's Mace and Sindel. Did they get the original adventures. actors? Because they were oh, fantastic. I, yeah, I don't know if they've actually done the casting yet, but you know, you got to assume they would. I mean, I'm sure that little girl grew up to be adorable, right? Sure, um, of course. They both grew up to look very, like, yeah, they didn't grow up to look like weird, bizarre, lumpy human beings like most little children actors usually do. 
Exactly. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think Mason Sindel, I think, I think they really picked the right direction for the film. Now, are they going to bring back uh, the Wilford Brimfl- Brimley character? Good morning. I'm Wilford Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. Sure, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. All right, qu- all right, quick side note. Did you know he says the word fuck in that movie? No. <laughs> 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 All right, this is kind of a crazy tangential story. I've actually watched that movie a, many, many times for Don't well, Ask Why, but yeah. You've got to watch the original broadcast. I did. I sh- I, that's the tape I had okay. was taped off the original, was uh, taped off the TV. So. Do you still have it? Uh, I do, okay. but the first Here- 20 minutes of it or so are taped over. That's okay. It's towards the end. Okay, and good. This would, this would have to be the original mm. broadcast, not the rebroadcast or nope, the DVD. This is, this is first time right. mint cherry on the airwaves. There's a scene where Wilford Brimley is trying to fix some, I think a spaceship, if I remember correctly, some machine. And he's getting all ready to do it. He spits in his hands, rubs them together, and flicks a switch to get it going. And either, it, 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 I think the switch doesn't work or something like that. And it may be that he just grunted, but I swear to God, it sounds like he went, fuck. And my dad was an executive for ABC at the time. He ran a TV station. And I played it for him on tape. I'm like, Dad, you got to see this. And you know, whether I really impacted the Star Wars universe or not, I'm not saying I did. It could have been any number of people, but I mentioned it to my dad. And he's like, yeah, it really does sound like he said that. Next time, ABA, and my dad took the tape did whatever he did with it. Next time this special aired, there was a moment of silence. Ah. And the DVD, which I bought and checked, sure enough, there's a moment of silence. He spits on his hands, flips the switch, and you hear nothing. You did good work, comrade. So I don't know whether I impacted the Star Wars universe or someone else did, but no, either way. No, you move. did good to report dirty word, comrade. <laughs> dirty <laughs> word is now erased. No more like, dirty word in Star Wars. Don't make me feel bad. I was like 13. I thought it was You funny. will get a medal for this, comrade. <laughs> hey, I made out better than Chewy. <laughs> hey, that's true. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to bring up before we get into the main part of this is, um, and I want to thank the Hair Metal Hero for this because uh, he's he's allowed me to use his Netflix every once in a while. I don't really get a <laughs> chance to 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 Netflix that often, but it's very enjoyable once in a while to just sort of end. And what's great is when I sign in, it thinks I'm him. And it's like, hey, Chris. You know need, and we have you know the same first do. name, too, so it's so personal. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Perhaps you'd like to finish this movie. And I'm like, perhaps I would. What is it? And it was the uh, People versus George Lucas. What you, but real quick, before you go into that, what you need to do is go through and give a thumbs up or like a five-star rating to a bunch of really shitty like Hannah Montana uh, movies and Hannah stuff Montana like movies exactly <laughs> but, but like uh, all, start making a pedophile profile out of his <laughs> <laughs> you'll have this huge queue full of like recommended freakazoid films Alex Jones conspiracy videos and Hannah Montana and old <laughs> um um oh what were the name of those twins that ended up all cracked <laughs> out all right, the, yeah, the Olsen twins. Olsen Blue twins. Lagoon. Yeah, Blue Lagoon. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty baby. Yeah, all that stuff. That'd be perfect. He'll he'll thank us for that. I hope he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> all right, People versus George Lucas. I watched this on Netflix as well. It's been a while, but I've seen it too. Um, I have a little history with this because um, I'm trying to remember uh, if it was called, I think it was called Star Wars Director's Cut. 
or some sort of something. And this guy had a whole internet project where he um, cut Star Wars into 15-second segments, and you could sign up to film a segment. And you had to film it by mm-hmm. a certain date, and then he edited it all together you know, in time with the movie. So you could just so you every fifteen seconds it was changing to another filmmaker. Yeah, I and, saw a segment of that in the in the Lucasfilm. That, right. That's crazy. I think those guys might have been friends because once I got on that list, I got a contact email from, uh, and I'm kind of I was going to look it up before the show, but I didn't look it up. The director of uh, whoever the director of uh, People versus George Lucas, and this had to be about four years. ago. This was early on in the podcast. When, when I got this email saying, you know, we're doing this movie. It's going to be about how George Lucas ruined Star Wars. And, you know, we want to get a bunch of people's opinions. We wondered if you'd want to give your opinion on this or if you had an opinion. And I was like, well, I don't really want to. I'm not of the opinion that George Lucas ruined my childhood or Star Wars. And I'm not really, you know, bitter, bitter about it. I'm, I kind of, you know, I kind of feel for the guy, you know, and I don't know. I, it sounds kind of slanted to me, but, um, that's all I heard from him. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, ah, it's going to be this really nerdy hater movie, you know, and I was very pleasantly surprised that it wasn't, it, it, it sort of covered both sides of it. And at the end, even with the you know, oh, we hate the prequels and stuff. You know, everybody finally admitted, but, you know, it's it's just a movie and we still love Star Wars, you know. And it'll never, you know, there were, ve- there were very few people in that movie that I think were just hardcore, like, I'm done with it, you know, fuck it. I don't, I don't like Star Wars anymore. I think there was one person that was interviewed who was like, I did not go to episode three. After episode two, I was, I, you know, cut it off crazy talk yeah 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 i now see i my feeling i walked away from that film a little torn because like you know at points they're just totally bashing lucas mm-hmm. then like you said they kind of turn a corner and celebrate him but i felt like the final verdict was that you know they appreciated george but a lot it seemed like they were trying to send a message that the film should be given to the fans now like that like they belong to us now and no longer george and i don't agree with that you know, I'm not a huge fan of the prequels. I'll say it. Uh, I'm not going to run around and be a hater, but I'm not a huge fan of them. But and I'm, I'm and I'm not a fan of Lucas. You know, changing the films as much as he does. But I'm, it's they're his. Right. He's an artist. I mean, it's his right. You know, it, I'm thrilled that he gave us you know the quote unquote original versions on DVD that you know I can watch whenever I want now. Um, they're still not exactly the original versions, but that's okay. They're darn close. They're, they're close enough. They, you know, it's like he couldn't resist tinkering a little bit. But yeah, I mean, that's pre- and and people are still kind of grumping and grumbling about it. But there they are. You can get them. You know. Yep. I mean, and a lot of people forget, and I assume most of your listeners know this, but I mean, the fact is, Lucas started tinkering with these films in 1978 mm-hmm. when he did the re-release. He, I mean, you know, if if there's anyone out there that doesn't know this. When he first released it in '77, it didn't say "A New Hope." It right. didn't say "Episode 4. Everybody, he didn't add that. Everybody was that. happy with all the tinkering right up until the re-releases. Till '97. Yeah, yeah. Any 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 little fixings he did then it was great. You know, okay, it was great to see like the you know the big exposed matte shots getting getting cleaned up and stuff like that, and space yep. getting a deeper color and stuff like that. But 
yeah, and and I mean it was disappointing, but you know in the future I'm 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 thinking probably he'll go you know the job of the hut scene with Han Solo in the future he'll be able to make that look a li- you know make that look a little better he'll be able to repair some of the damage that he made when he was repairing what he thought was the damage he made before so it'll be but, a constant say, state of repair you know from from there on but he's well, it he's, sounds like he's done now i you know i'm thinking oh i doubt it think about it they're coming out in 3D so he's got a few years to adjust the those three even more Really, I'm just I'm really just waiting for episode four in 3D. That's the one that's going to be actually Empire is going to be awesome in 3D. Um, to, well, I went to saw, see I, it like that. Did you see Phantom Menace in 3D? Yes, I did. Okay, yeah, me too. I was underwhelmed. And yeah, it, that's kind of how I felt too. Now I noticed certain things he had tinkered with that film, like he had replaced the Yoda puppet with his CGI puppet uh-huh. from uh, episode two. And that looks fine. That didn't bother me. Um, but the the 3D really didn't do a lot for me. It's that post 3D. There's exactly there, when, when they make the 3D to go a lot to go with the movie. And I yep. hear that. Um, oh, what is it? The the story of Pi, the life of Pi. I mm-hmm. hear the 3D, and that is fan, does the panoramic where it comes up from your peripheral vision and stuff like that. But when you okay. do that post, it's like you're sort of looking into a postcard. You know, the yeah. screen is sort of a postcard that you can look into. It's a window that you can look into. Nothing pops out of it. Nothing's right. po- coming out, and you know, it doesn't extend into the into the theater like like something like Prometheus or um, Avatar does. That was mm-hmm. fil- filmed with that in mind. You know. But or, or Star Wars Star- and Empire, I, just, I, I was looking at it, and it's like, okay, this is sort of like an old-fashioned, those old-fashioned dioramas that you would look through, you know, a stereoptican sort of yeah. thing. It was sort of like that. And I, I'm very interested to see, the, you know, the original trilogy like that, just to see them in a different way and see how they, they um, layer it and everything like that, almost from a technical point of view. I'm guessing episode two and episode three will have some pretty spectacular 3D effects, though. You know, they should. They should, especially like the space battle in episode three. Mm-hmm. And actually, I would say the asteroid battles in episode two and episode five. It's hard for me to say episode five. Empire Strikes Back. Um, both of the asteroid scenes should be pretty cool in 3D. Well, I the, would think. the stadium battle in um, episode two, when the when the Jedi all show up. There's a lot of spectacular shots of Jedi jumping, you know, 500 feet, you know, jumping down 500 feet and and sort of, you know, disappearing and jumping up and lasers flying up. So that could be that could be really neat. And, and Geonosians flying in the foreground and stuff like that. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like, you know, the pod race wasn't like didn't have you dodging and weaving. It was neat. Mm-hmm. But I'll I'll see them all, <laughs> and they'll the way, they'll, they'll of, bring us right ahead. into episode seven. You know, basically. Yeah. It, well, assuming the three D fad's still going on at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to add, since we're talking Star Wars three D, I I finally just this past weekend, a few days ago, got to go to the new um, Star Tours in three D. I hadn't been oh, on it yet. Oh, how'd you so like it? 
I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Now I, I had cheated after li- after listening to you guys talk about it. Uh huh. Um, it, it just you know, I got so excited. I, I I went out and watched all the YouTube videos, so I had seen a lot of the footage already and like blurry. Yeah, but it's not the same. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it was a blast. Absolutely loved it. Got to see the uh, Coruscant scene. You know, I never saw Naboo. I went out three times. Never saw Naboo. It surprised me. Saw Naboo Coruscant. is the one we couldn't get away from. Right, that's the one everyone can't get away from. So I don't know how I ended up not getting it. And my daughter was begging for it because she's like, I want the princess planet, Daddy. I want the princess planet. I'm like, I'm trying, honey. I can't can't control this. <laughs> I can't control Disney, dear. Right. So we saw Coruscant, which was cool. Hoth, Tatooine, um, the asteroid field. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. But that was, yeah, just had an absolute blast. My kids built their own lightsabers. Mm-hmm. So... It was good. I can picture the space exactly, man, like I was there yesterday. <laughs> well, sir, what are we here for? What are we doing? We're doing comic books. Oh, shit, really? Marvel comic books. Unless you've had any exciting, um, exciting Star Wars experiences recently that you uh, feel that you need to, to share... No, I, but I read a bunch of Star Wars porn comics getting ripped. I don't know we were doing Marvel. Damn it. You can talk about those slowly Might be and interesting. in a deep voice. <laughs> Smut Wars. <laughs> Smut Wars. No, my, my exciting Star Wars news is that I did uh, Star Wars. So that was me. Hmm. That's what I had. That's pretty exciting. It was damn exciting. It was a blast. If you guys haven't done the ride yet, highly recommend it. Get your ass down to Orlando. Go for a cruise. Uh, it's well worth it. And it was fun, especially because my daughter, she's six. It was her first time riding Star Tours. And she'd never ridden the old version, you know. So she was all new to her. She was terrified going in. She's like, Daddy, is it really going to space? I'm like, no, honey. And she was convinced it was a roller what, coaster. What kind of father are you? I would have been like, just a little bit. It's okay, though. Look, everybody's getting well, off. I mean, that's the crap I normally spin. But my fear was I would scare her so much. that Because I'm totally like Calvin's dad. I mean, I'm terrible. I lie to my kids all the time. Oh, good, good, good. But in this case, I was afraid if I was too successful, she'd be scared to go on the ride, and I wouldn't get to go on the ride. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. No, so no. This, That's smart. This was, a, this was a whole lot of like, no, honey, it's perfectly fine. Now, after the first time, and she loved it, I said, yeah, we went, we, yeah, we absolutely went into space, honey. She's like, no, we didn't, Daddy. <laughs> but didn't you anyway. see the water coming off the one that came back from Naboo? Right. We never saw the Princess Planet, remember? So, anyway. All right. Because we're on the clock here, I think, if I remember correctly from what we said. Let's uh, let's talk some Star Wars comics. All right. Well, we shall begin. This month we'll, we're doing two more Marvel Star Wars comics, as we do every month when we're not slacking off. And uh, <laughs> this month it's number 97 and 98. So, we will start with number 97. Because we're that organized. Yes, right. sir. Number 97. It's a 65 center from July 1985, a year before I graduated high school. And um, Damn, you're old. We've got, yeah. We've got a, a cover by uh, Cynthia Martin and Art Nichols. Um, Joe, D- uh, who are the same artists inside. Uh, Joe Duffy writing, as uh, has been the last few issues. Rick Parker letters. Petra Scotis, Scotes, Scotesi is doing the coloring. I don't remember her from 
her name before. Anne Nascenti is the editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And does this one have a name? Yes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Escape from the Planet of the Nagelpenny paintings. Yes, yeah, so so <laughs> so we ended last last episode where uh, Luke had finally whooped whooped his ex-girlfriend and and Shag's girlfriend. Shira, yeah, Shira Bry, who is now known as Lumia. I do have a passion for Shira Bry. I'll, I'll hush. I'll let you do your recap. Then I'll talk. So, uh, and and uh, just as he whooped her, a massive Nagai invasion fleet comes out of hyperspace, and uh, that's where we start this episode. Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Uh, the Nagai, <laughs> the Nagai va- invasion force with their Imperial allies land on Canoeing to establish their base. They, I, I wonder if I-N-E means planet in Star Wars language or something. Well, anyway, they know uh, Lumia is missing, but the last they heard, she killed Luke Skywalker. But it is not so. He and Kira have captured Lumia. I keep wanting to call her Lumaya, but I know the correct pronunciation is Lumia. And uh, they tie her to their uh, ship while they go to rescue Donnie from uh, Den Siva who's a Mengele-like Nagai. And I just noticed how close the word Nagai is to Nazi now that I put the word Mengele <laughs> near mm. the two. Hmm. Mm. Meanwhile, Den is in his, his secret laboratory, quote-unquote, scanning Donnie with uh, basically microscopic blaster beams and uh, then afterwards, when she's in a semi-coma state, bringing her flowers like a good, creepy, mad scientist uh, should. And uh, they're very, uh, yeah. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> There's a very uh, dysfunctional relationship, uh, seeds of a very dysfunctional relationship. Meanwhile, uh, Admiral Akbar and Mon Mothma are briefing the rebels about this uh, Nagai invasion plan, their war plan. And... Uh, Basically, in 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 a nice little story element, they forbid Han to go to canoeing, which of course leads him to tell them to stuff it, and he's leaving. Luke and Kira Kiro infiltrate Danny's uh, Den's base, and uh, Luke goes to disable the computer so they can't track him when they escape, and uh, and Kiro goes to get Donny. Uh, as, as Kiro's carrying Donnie out, Den finds him, and he and Kiro both start to fight. And eventually they both plummet off a cliff and into the water. And uh, when Luke arrives, he's just in time to join the horrified Donnie and watching the, the water turn blood red. And uh, they cannot find Den or Kiro's bodies, but they do find that Lumia is gone, and one of Den's creepy Georgia O'Keeffe flowers is sitting nearby. Dun, 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 dun. Bam, bam. I liked it. It was not what I was expecting story-wise. I was sort of expecting a big battle with the invasion fleet, but I didn't really think it through that the invasion fleet really didn't wasn't coming there expecting a battle. <laughs> so they're just sort of going there, setting up a base. Once again, I, I just... I, I think... Um, I wish they would sort of pick uh, an inker and stick with them for yeah. Cynthia Martin so that there would be... Because her art is... I, I just love her art. 
and it looks great in this issue too but it's it's just slightly different every issue you know and i would love the consistency that's sort of been here before by having by having a consistent inker i'd sort of like this guy who's inking her now um what is it art nichols art nichols is uh i like him he seems to basically be doing just sort of doing service to her artwork He's sort of presenting it probably pretty much as she penciled it. His lines are pretty are, are really thin, and it takes on a little more anime look. But it's he's sharper in close-ups, you know, like close-ups of faces. So like Admiral Ak- Akbar and like Mon Mothma, like on page eleven, look really good. Dude, let me tell you, Mon Mothma and especially Admiral Akbar look greatest you know last issue you guys had talked about mon mothma looks hot not like in the movies this is a hot <laughs> mon mothma this is a milf mon milfma <laughs> mon milfma that's i don't think that sentence has ever been uttered ah, um, i hope not well you you know you guys had talked last time about how akbar's head was like and looked strangely large and elephant hydrocephalic yeah right well, this time, I mean, they, he, I mean, she nailed Akbar. He looks mm-hmm. awesome. In fact, that whole page, I love that entire page, and I've got tons of notes here, but I had to jump in there. Akbar looks especially fantastic. Um, you know, the you Ewok. got Cliff on that page too. This oh, is like a brother. This is uh, this was a great, um, great opportunity to have you on. You got Shira Bry and Cliff. And For longtime listeners of True True Freaks, uh, I've, I've guest appeared on this show a couple times, and it seems to always hover around Shara Bree and Pliff. <laughs> seems yes. to be like where I and they're two of my, my two of my favorite EU characters. So you know that's awesome. Well, I love I love her version of Pliff. I love her Ewok. I guess that's Wicket. Um, he just looks badass. He's got his arms crossed. He's scowling. He's like, Yeah, I'm gonna kick some ass. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna eat some. I'm gonna eat some humans. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. I just love how the Ewoks are, you know, they're totally engaged in this briefing. You know, they're ready for a fight. So I'm thinking, a- have the Ewoks learned English yet or planetary standard or whatever it is that they speak? I, I, I got to think somehow. They've learned some of it. So now it, going back to your statement about the Inkers, I mean, yeah, I think Art Nichols does a very good job. I mean, Steve Lea Lola, Loha. Is, mm-hmm. is probably like you and Scott said are probably the best. Mm-hmm. But I think Art Nichols does a very good job. I think Bob Wycheck in the previous issue, the Dark Lady issue, did a very good job as well. Um, I think it's how you say is Wycheck. And I'll say you know later on in the series, not trying to peek ahead too far, there's some other inkers that don't uh, do justice to right. Her pencils. Right. They uh, almost, very much so. It gets kind of hurried. It seems yeah. at, towards the end. Yeah, like my uh, dream, my dream team would be Leia Aloha and Cynthia Martin. It would be a very Burn Austin sort of team up, I think. Yeah. In in my point of view, I like. Well, I like I like Leia Aloha's art just on his own. So I I really like his his inking because you can see a little bit of that. You know, in in there, and I thought and I thought he did a great job. Doing her not not that this one. If anything, if there's anything working to the disservice of this book, maybe the colors a little bit. So, yeah. Some the uh, I'm I'm noticing the colors are getting brighter and a lot of blues and pinks and getting getting a more cartoony aspect. But I don't know if that's really necessary. With yeah, the, I see with what you mean. There are. I mean, uh, like, the, like there's a page here. Page 19's got a cliff face. And it's got one, two, three, four, 
five different colors in the cliff face between browns and greens mm -hmm. and pinks. And it's like, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they are, I mean, it's very late 80s, very mid to late 80s yes. colors. Yes, <laughs> that's true. But I think the real secret to inking Cynthia Martin is you've got to have sort of frenetic, sort of sketchy willingness to do you know sketchy kind of lines. I mean, if you try and smooth out her artwork, which is what some later inkers do, you lose the energy that she conveys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and 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 she does so much with just angles and stuff that you know someone like Art Nichols or you know does does a good job pulling that out. So it's nice. Well, it's this, this this might sound like a slam, but it's not. But it's it's just more descriptive. But like that cliff face you were just describing, and a lot of the background stuff, it reminds me a lot of um, paint by numbers. <laughs> the way that they, <laughs> the, the, the way they would organize the color schemes in paint by numbers with these sort of, you know, you couldn't you couldn't um, blend the colors in, so you would sort of have these jagged jagged lines. Mm -hmm. Going into the other colors to um, to imply that, and, sure. and that's sort of what what she does with a lot of this. But um, man, her just her the the faces of her characters are are getting better and better. You know, I mean, you got the characters that are invented for the comic, which are consistent. But man, she draws Han Solo and Princess Leia. She draws all the. The actual characters that we have a face associated with, well, and and Chewbacca's, she's even drawing Chewbacca very well. I'm I'm still, you know, as far as face, I think the best face she does in this whole thing is Akbar. I mean, it's not a slam on any of the other faces she does, but just her Akbar in this particular one excels so much that it's just it blows me away. It's so one of the greatest Akbars. And I also notice there's um, in the front splash, I like that there's a. Well, there's only really one, but there's well, there's another one if, unless it's just a drawing quirk. But there's a few variations of uh, stormtroopers that we haven't seen. There's a sort of samurai-looking stormtrooper. Then there's handlebar mustache stormtrooper. Where's handlebar mustache stormtrooper? On the left-hand side, the way the yes. shading. It looks almost like handlebar mustaches. <laughs> yes, yes, and his 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 armor is a little yeah, it's a little flattened and more stylized too. He's yep. almost got a little more Darth Vader to his helmet. Yeah, than the other ones. And the and the one on the right, it actually looks like a Darth Vader helmet on top of a stormtrooper helmet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it has that sort of samurai flappiness to it. That yeah. But then He's again, got so did Darth Vader's helmet. He's got those like accordion like uh, <laughs> yes the Robbie, Robbie the robot, robot arms. arms yes yeah, exactly. exactly it just reminds me of one of my uh, in my in my little tyke days uh, one of my greatest um, Halloween costumes was a big cardboard box mm. with a with another box on the top spray painted you know silver with with um, dryer you know dryer. Um, Air vents, air vents, you know, yeah. for arms and you know, big gloves on the end of it, and air vents that went over my legs. That's funny. <laughs> now, I, since we're talking about the splash page, I got to say, this is—I don't know that I've ever seen this in a comic book before. Flip. I, I, I'm I'm reading reprints, by the way. So I'm, okay. I'm reading I'm reading from the Star Wars long time ago trade paperback okay. series that Dark Horse did. 
uh, eventually became reprinted even smaller as the Omnibus, but I'm reading the original trades. And so I'm looking at the cover and the splash page literally next to each other and facing pages. Okay. The cover and the splash page are almost identical. You're right. I don't know that I've ever seen a comic book like that before. You can um, now I'm I can take the page and just sort of flip them back and forth like a flip book. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost the same. Yep, it's just more stylized and simple on the and the yeah. stormtroopers holding its gun differently. But you just you don't ever see that in comics where the co- the covers usually you know, lift it out of the story somewhere, and, and it is never usually the exact image, but like, this is almost identical. It's amazing. Yeah, it's either a stylized rendition of a fight, or yeah. it's like, a, you know, a sort of um, metaphorical idea of what's going on inside, or something like that, you know, it just sort of. Yeah, you're, I, I totally didn't notice that. Now, if we're, if we're talking about the art, uh, I will say that, and I'm not criticizing it, I'm just sharing my personal opinion. I'm not a huge fan of the Nagai's various hairstyles. Um, I understand that it helps them look distinctive and different. Tell them apart, I just, yeah. I just think they look ridiculous. Like, yes. not all of them, but just some of the more crazy hairstyles. Just 80s, like, like, once again. Yeah, exactly. A lot of mohawks. A lot of crazy type hairs like that is like, oh, really? But, you know, I can live with it, I suppose. Well, it reminds me of, and I don't know how old Cynthia Martin was at the time she was drawing this, but I can't imagine she was very old, you know, probably probably not far out of art school. It reminds me of, like, the art school chicks I used to date, and you'd go to their dorm room and they, they would have, like, their sketchbook pictures hung up, and they would have, like, you know, drawings of people with different hairstyles and... And that's what these Nagai are sort of like. They're kind of gothy, and you know, I think they, I think they were something that she like sort of enjoyed. I'll bet you somewhere there's Cynthia Martin's sketchbooks with Nagai in them long before she even knew she was gonna draw for Marvel. You know, could be. And they were like, "There's this race called the Nagai. All we know is they're tall and thin, you know, or something like that. <laughs> they're humanoid." Well, let me put. Put this at you, and I don't know if you guys have mentioned this on a previous episode. I don't remember you saying it. If you have, I apologize. Um, whenever I think of the Nagai, and I always have, they remind me of, and I, I mentioned it earlier, the Nagel paintings. Do you remember Patrick Nagel did a bunch of paintings mm-hmm. in the 80s? Oh, yeah. And it was always these people with white skin. Yep. And they had crazy, de- you know, 80s colors that they'd be wearing and highlights on them. And it's like, uh, some of these guys, Nagai, which N A G. And e, you know, both both start NAG, um, could oh. be lifted. Yeah, some of these guys could be lifted right out of a Nagel painting. You know, and it's like it's always I've always kind of thought that that may have played a role in her inspiration, especially since the name is so similar. Yeah, and I mean that was oh well. Um, okay, what page is it we got here? Page nine, where he's I, it, there's a the page where he's sort of holding Donnie's chin up gently and you know with his hand on his heart with a bolt of light behind him that's very nagel paintingy at least in the way it's um laid out and everything mm-hmm. and that was state-of-the-art graphic design by then yeah no yeah i would i would yeah and uh you're seeing a different influence <laughs> than uh the artists who were on here earlier who are mostly older 
older um, comic book guys, you know, who were like, let's make Princess Leia's boobs bigger. <laughs> God bless them. Yeah, so, yeah, right, right. <laughs> but now now you have the, the feminine touch, and, and definitely she's playing more on... Uh, not that she can't draw like beautiful the 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 women she draws aren't aren't beautiful you know um as the aforementioned mon milfma and uh <laughs> just about just about every female character in here there literally i don't think i've actually i don't know if i don't know if i've seen cynthia martin draw a single dumpy character yet like heavier character like heavy yeah or even lumpy, you know. There's oh, there's there's a lot of people in the Star Wars universe who are kind of you know, old generals and stuff. Let me let me see if I can flip to well, the we'll page here where she's talking to the whole group. There aren't any fat generals sitting there. No, we'll, everybody's we'll, everybody's uh, pretty slim and trim in this meeting. Even the Ewoks. I think we'll see some of that later on when. Um we get to the was it the toffs in later episode later issues there's a whole series of like fat aliens i oh. think they're called toffs not in these two episode issues but towards the end of the series yeah there's there's no porkins hanging around in <laughs> in any of these you know or um any of the older generals all had a good punch to them in, yeah. at least in the in the rebellion they didn't seem to be that many fat Imperials. The Imperials seem to work it pretty hard, it seems like. Well, if we're talking about art, before we get off of art, I gotta say, you know, it's interesting, her style, Cynthia Martin, when when I first got exposed to her, I, I as a kid, I didn't really take to it all that well. Part of that, I think, is because I was reading other issues, like, uh, I, like, I didn't read this issue originally. I read, like, I think it was issue 100 and issue 107, or maybe it was 106, but some of the later stuff that was inked that it wasn't right. as impressive as this stuff. So here, I'm really impressed with her style. Some, how 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 much she can communicate with just a few lines. But then you get to page, uh, let's see, page 16, where the background is Luke's working on these computers. There is an amazing amount of de- detail in these computers. Yes. And it's like, wow, you know, I, I didn't suspect that she had that in her. It Cynthia might be Martin. the inker. It could be the inker too, you know. Yeah, it could be. That could be an inking job. I'm not sure, but it's just really impressive that uh, seeing those two together. Yeah, that's kind of um uh it's kind of Al Williamson like detail. Mhm. Um and then last thing on art and then we'll get in well actually it's not really art, it's more story, but um once again, you get the fight style that Cynthia Martin has sort of brought to the series of the silent fights where uh, Den and Kiro fight, you know, have a knife fight and then fall in the water. Again, no sounds, no no sound effects, no words, no dialogue, nothing during their fight. Not even a lot of, um, um, you know, like motion lines or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. There's no, not a lot of speed lines. I mean, there's no they hit the water. There's no sploosh, nope. you know, type thing. There's no gurgle. There, it's just a fight, and it looks great. I love it. I I didn't notice that until you guys brought it up on a previous podcast. I was like, oh yeah, 
that's a really neat uh, you know thing that she's done in the series. I I, so. I think that's something she sort of got from Frank Miller. I think that was, uh, and I and when I was reading that segment of it, I was thinking, you know, when they got to this after the last couple issues, somebody might have said to her, you know, you sort of got something there. That's kind of that's kind of neat. Maybe we want to make that a thing when when they fight. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and 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 this was you know this wasn't an epic one like uh, like with her and Luke, but um, it's still it's still really neat, and it's very Frank Miller like uh, even the way they uh, cut up the panels, you know, into some more rectangular long panels, and uh, they sort they'll sort of cut the panels, make the panels around the action, mm-hmm. and uh, which was pretty pretty frank miller like yeah great stuff and i said that was my last thing in art but i do actually have one more uh-huh. uh it's amazing how much den looks um like morpheus uh or the sandman neil gaiman's sandman character oh i've never read that oh okay he looks a lot like sandman if you take away his pupils he'd be he'd be pretty much dead on I in thought, some of these panels i thought you meant morpheus from the the um the matrix and i was just like hey, <laughs> are you okay shag <laughs> i did, saw a different matrix did they recolor you. those reprints or something i <laughs> <laughs> all right i got lots of story comments. i was just gonna me. say and uh a lot of happy stuff in the art what do you think about the story um it's it's not as amazing as the last couple store issues mm-hmm. you know but I think they kind of had to move on. Like, they had done the Shiera Bree story there, you know? So they kind of had to move on and tell a different story. And here, it's truthfully just a big setup yes. for what's going to come later. It's a lot of exposition. Know, yep. I mean, it's all about the, the Nagai coming in and getting a foothold in our galaxy so that later on they become a credible threat. I mean, even... And one, that's one thing to notice when you read this comic. When you get to the end, you know, they... I guess, you know, they leave the planet... They get away and everything, but they don't win. The Nagai still have control of that planet. The Nagai still have created a new foothold in our galaxy. The good, the, the our, our heroes, the Alliance, they simply got away. They didn't beat the Nagai. So it's it, you know even though that's you feel like it's a victory, it's really not. I mean they it's it's more like an Empire Strikes Back kind of moment where there's now this you know, danger hanging over the the Alliance, the you know over the good guys. Yeah, and it looks like Kiro's dead. Right. Uh, Although it's had, a comic book and there's nobody, it's too cryptic for him to be actually dead. True. And I haven't read ahead. I don't remember if he comes back. I don't remember not, either. So I'm looking forward to finding out. Um, well, I tell you what, did, what, what notes do you have before I just start going through my litany of notes here? I, my, my only really n- real notes on the on the story was... If you're gonna, but it's a comic book, so I mean, if you're really gonna break down the story, you can find a lot of stuff that kind of doesn't make sense, and it's a little, little heavy on the on the exposition. There's a little, it relies a little bit too much on somebody being around a corner and listening to two people going, "So you know what's going on? No, I don't. <laughs> Catch me up on everything, and don't skimp on the details." There's, there's a lot of that going on. But like you said, I, I I understand they're 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 setting up, they're 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 trying 
to lay a groundwork for comics to come ahead of this or try they're, they're confronting the problem of you know who who are our heroes gonna fight you know and how are we going to get other characters you know they've been working on getting the other characters in so you can actually have people whose lives you fear for um but now they're trying to set up a credible threat my problem is i'm not that intimidated by the nagai there's there's nothing about them that uh, yeah yeah they're bad guys and they act like bad guys but there's nothing really inherently scary about them you know, it, the, like the Dr. Mengele, he's, uh, you know, I, I think I made it sound creepier than it actually was. Uh, no, it, it was creepy. It was creepy. It's, I mean, I think he, if he'd had another 20 minutes with her, he was going to rape her. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He was going to start sleep touching her and stuff like that. But yeah, um, you know, and obviously deranged, but they just don't seem like badasses. You know what I mean? They don't. It's it's funny because and and I'll have to wait till Star Trek Monthly Monday to really talk about this. But I just watched the first episode of the Next Generation where the Borg were introduced, and mm-hmm. that was another one where it was like, oh, we're not at war with the Klingons anymore. Nobody seems to be too afraid of the Romulans. We need a we need a new bad guy. So they bring in the Borg and they scare the shit out of you. You right. go, what the hell? <laughs> and the, you know, <laughs> you know, and and I think that's sort of what they need to replace the empire. You know, the empire's gotten all the piss taken out of it. Anything you, any empire you got set up now, you don't have Darth Vader or the Emperor. And how are you going to get any any creepier, scarier than that without getting ridiculous? So, yeah, I think the the Nagai are almost too. Human, they're too close to so that they just don't seem. There doesn't seem to be anything that differentiates them from any other like threat of just a race that that wants to take over the galaxy that make them any more threatening than the the empire. Yeah, I think the writers are to answer that exact thing you just said. I think what the writer was relying on was two things. Yes, the Nagai individually aren't that frightening, other than their ridiculous sideshow Bob haircuts. Right. Um, but their they're sheer number of, of forces, really. Is, it's two things. It's the sheer number of forces because they have this, you know, they keep saying this small expedition force. Right. And yet, it's just massive. It's I mean, it looks like there's thousands and thousands and thousands of troopers of Nagai, and you're like, holy shit. You know, they, you know, if that's a small force, they must be like, you know, coming in massive waves. So they're relying on sheer numbers. And the other thing is, they're, I think originally when Joe Duffy wrote this, she was relying on them having uh, Lumia on their side. Right, right. Well, Lumia is a good um, bad guy. Yes. As but I'm I, sure you'll you know, agree. Oh, yeah, without a and doubt. And a hot makes, bad guy. She makes a great, hot, scarred bad guy. Uh, in fact, by the way, I was listening to you and Scott talk about the episode. Uh, the <laughs> it's issues. like, hey, baby, you smell like barbecue. <laughs> All the better makes her that much hot. She, <laughs> smell smells, like bacon. she smells like bacon. <laughs> the best perfume ever. What's cooking, um, baby? Oh, shit. I, uh, I got done listening to y'all's last uh, podcast on Star Wars, and I, you know, I, I did exactly what Scott was talking about. I jumped online, and I ordered the Lumia figure, action figure. Oh, cool. 
and I'm going to put her up on my shelf next to my Grand Admiral Thrawn, which I know you guys aren't mm-hmm. a huge fan of, but I'm I think Grand Admiral Thrawn's awesome. I've been so I've my- been putting a lot of Star Wars stuff up online. I've had a secret re- reserve of uh a few Empire but mostly Jedi era Mattel toys. Cool. That were get that are in if they were mine, they wouldn't go anywhere, but they're co-owned by myself and my roommate and we've been hanging on to them for a couple of years for eBay, so I'm sliding those on to eBay just for nice. anybody who's paying atten- paying attention to eBay and wants to buy Star Wars toys. And what's your username on eBay? Besides pure, crazy crazy motherfucker. All one word, pure evil fanord, F N O R D. <laughs> and those of you that know about the fanords know about the fanords. <laughs> awesome. But um <laughs> Yeah, I just put the rancor up today. Uh, the rancor, I saw I saw you posted that on Facebook. Nice. The the bizarre ISP six Imperial Shuttle Pod. Yep. A nice little it looks basically kinda like the Battlestar Galactica ships that the good guys had. And I think yeah. the other thing I got is I had a whole shit ton of um card backs from mm. that same era. There were there's like three Power of the Force ones or two or three Power of the Force ones, a few Empire ones, but most of them are Jedi era figures. There's like 69 of them. So the guy got like a good chunk of all the, this this kid was a serious collector back in the day. Yeah. As as a little kid. Anyway, yeah, I digress. Sorry, I'll I'll, I'll run through my notes real quick. Um, I do like that the planet's called Kinuine. You know, continuing that whole O O I N E thing mm-hmm. from Tatooine, Dantooine. I just thought that was a nice nod to that, uh, without overplaying it too much. Now here's something I want you to check out. All right, uh, get get out your copy I got and look it. on pa- look on page three. Okay. Um. Look on. Wait a minute. Maybe I'm on the wrong page. Uh, page page three. Page three is where Luke's got his. Uh. Uh. I, I don't yeah. think it's a lightsaber. I think he's got like a regular sword to. Yeah, he's got a sword. Look at the the word balloon in the bottom in the bottom right quadrant. It says we must learn that threat. Uh, we must learn what threat his kind could pose to us. Based on. The the way that word balloon shaped, I is this is sound this is all conspiracy theoryish, but it looks to me like that word balloon has been redrawn or or the text has been redone. Yes, and there was because the text in it doesn't take up the right amount of space, and if it was just that amount of text, it would be centered. And I started thinking about what you guys kept saying about how they keep uh, they kept getting interfered with. You know, the writers would get mm-hmm. you know stuff would be fiddled with. Makes me wonder if that panel, you know, if they had written something in there and Lucasfilm said, uh uh uh, and they went back and had to change it later. There's another panel that way, too. Um, if well, you flip the page, go ahead. If I were them and I was having to change things from Lucasfilm, I would try to change it as much just in, by changing the dialogue as possible to make it easier and cheaper, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Well, go, and yeah, exactly. If the art's already done, yeah. Like, go to page 11. Okay. If you look, uh, Admiral Akbar, he in the top panel, he's, he he has this. He has three word balloons. First one, second one, third one. The second and third word balloons, they actually are connected there. They look com- like completely differently ink, uh, letters. 
Oh, you're right. Oh, you're totally right. The, so, one, the again, one to the right is in a lot bigger and more kind of rounded, rounded um, hand for sure. Yeah, it, it almost makes me think that perhaps again it's you know, in a submitted... story area too. It's in an exposition area. Yep. So it makes me think they submitted something to Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm said, "No, no, no, you can't say this." So rather than redo the art, they just changed some dialogue. And, you know, and maybe I'm just being crazy. Maybe just the the letter was having a bad day. I don't know. That's kind of, you know, what I felt. I was like, huh, hmm, something's not right here. No, I, I, I totally, um, totally agree with you because both of those would be places where something could be said that uh, I don't like that, you know, because uh, they're talking about Imperial survivors a little bit in here, too, and there was probably, and if you notice, the Imperial element of this is really downplayed. You see yeah. the stormtroopers. But, like, um, as we're going to see in the next issue, you know, you also have, like, an Imperial general, you know. But there's no, like, Im- like remnant Imperial admiral here who's with the guy from the Nagai. It's sort of more like the Nagai have just scooped up a bunch of uh, stormtroopers who had no place to go. Yeah, it's almost like they they, they work to deal with them. Right, right. The troopers themselves, yeah. Right, three squares and, uh, you know, give us your PIN number and you're on our payroll now. (laughs) Um, All right, let's see. Sort of like the Mandalorians became. Yeah, no, it it could very well be. So, And knowing that the connection of troopers to Mandalorians, that might even make a little more sense. On page four, I love the second panel where where the stormtroopers are carrying these enormous PCs. You know, they look like the old dummy terminals yes. with the monitor and, and the keyboard are one piece. I absolutely love that. <laughs> Cracked my ass up. Yeah, we call those wristwatches these days. Basically, right. the power of those things are, are in our wristwatches these days. Exactly. Um, and that, that dude in the same panel in the red, he's a human. He's obviously either a collaborator or, you know, a servant or something. But that guy looks really cool in his red and yellow outfit. And it just... Like that, you see the guy I'm talking about? Yeah, he's just, uh, yeah. and he's like a throwaway. Yeah, exactly. He's a throwaway character, but it reminds me of like the Cantina scene where you've got all these characters and they're just kind of throwaway characters, but then they come back later and do, you know, an anthology book, Tales from the Cantina, from the Most Isaac Cantina, and you learn about all these different characters. And like looking at this book, like that dude in red, I'd love to hear his story. He's like, he's like Maximilian mixed with the French Foreign Legion or something. Yeah. But like right under, um, Right on the same that same frame to the right, there's a guy with a red Darth Vadery hat. But the way it yeah. is there, it looks like a backwards baseball cap. So he looks like this punky kid, like he looks like an extra, or, or you know, or like the director's son who's like wandering through the background accidentally in the film. Dude, it's Bill S. Preston. <laughs> That's right. It's a time travel. It is. He's got the backwards red hat, the blonde hair, blue shirt. It's that's Bill S. Preston, brother, right there. Right. Well, it's it's uh it's uh it's possible. <laughs> um. Let's see the the torture scene with the the guy. You know, I I find that really interesting that they were able to fit that into a Star Wars comic, a kids kind of comic. I mean, it really shows that they're trying to mature the storytelling because you get, you know, this is the beginning of a big story arc. You get this sort of really creepy torture scenes going on, um, you know, without being too overt, you know, torture. But it's it, there's a 
there's well, a little bit. Well, they couch of, it. They say it's a scan, but it's like, it, sure. but it's a very painful scan. Right, and and she's a beautiful, sexy woman who's, you know, in various positions as she's being tortured. It just there's a lot of sexual energy there yeah, too. Yeah, she's, she's writhing as yeah. in pain. Of course, I, I've I've never been on a show where we talked about Danny, but pretty much any time she's on the screen, I feel like there's some sexual energy going on. But that might just be me. Well, the funny um, thing I always find the funny thing about Danny is, is she's obviously gorgeous horny dresses provocatively friendly reliable yet all the guy characters are just sort of like except for den the fish boy are like get off me <laughs> with yeah. they're just like oh these these zeltron women gee whiz it's just like what <laughs> kind of universe is this it's like Oh, these Zeltron women. Are there three or four of them hanging around? You know? <laughs> Jeez. They, right. oh. It's incredibly hot, reliable, competent, you know, uh, nice person who wants to have sex with me, you know, just without a lot of hang Yeah, without a lot of right. hang-ups, man. Ooh, who wants that? <laughs> Han Solo should have been totally tapping that on the side. Exactly. You never know. You never know. Yeah. I do like um, in one of the scenes with... Uh, Shiera Bree, Luke actually he just refers to her as Lumia. He stopped. He doesn't call her Shiera Bree at all. And I don't know if that was intentional in the script, like they wanted Luke to accept that she wasn't who she used to be, or whether it was just more convenient for the reader to hear her consistently call Lumia. I'm not sure. Well, I, I yeah, I think I thought that was kind of a, a flaw because I think really, especially with what just happened with Darth Vader. He should he should be more of the uh, and and Lumia is also someone like Darth Vader that he has some sort of relationship with him you, or with not as deep for sure but you know they were making goo goo eyes at each other and and he sh he you would think he would be of the opinion that no you it it when you you can change back because he saw his Darth Vader come back from the dark side so you would yeah, think. That he would, like, refer to her as Shira on purposely, you know? Yeah, I mean, last issue, he even tried to, you know, bring up the Darth... He played the Darth Vader's My Dad card. Right. You know, like you mentioned, so, yeah. Um, let's see. Just that briefing room with all the folks in there. I would just like to point out that the Zeltron guys, um, I think I've come up with a name for them now. New Kids on the Block? No, let's call them the Fabulous Zeltron Boys. <laughs> yes, exactly. The Fabulous Zeltron Boy Review. <laughs> right. Oh, that's even better. The, the Fabulous Zeltron Boy Review. That's, Featuring I think that's what, Zeus. <laughs> I think that's what we should call them from now on. And if you're feeling especially fruity, you can really play up Fabulous. <laughs> um, so, Which has been, that's been played up as a story element in here. And But another another reason that I don't find the Nagai very intimidating is... A, a group of Zeltron guys just handily kicked the shit out of, you know, just just ran through a, a basically a whole base full of Zeltrons and wiped them all out. And yeah. Like they were doing, practicing their ballet moves. So. <laughs> um, let me ask you a question here. Maybe I just don't didn't pick up on this. You know, the well, Pliff says, you know, and anything Pliff, Pliff says is gospel. He says that there's a deep connection between Han and Knife. 
and then and Knife feels really strongly about Han, and he has hatred for him. Do we know what that is? Well, they've had a couple. Ru- no, they actually, the slaver, they had the slaver run in, but I didn't feel like that was yeah enough to create this hatred. Well, it might it might be, but you know, I mean, you gotta imagine with a guy like Han Solo, he's got those all over the universe. You know, that's business as usual. Why would Knife right. be? Why would Knife be any? concern to him when you've had job of the hut after you you know what i mean exactly yeah, so, yeah i don't understand you know knife is just a guy with a knife in the universe so what you know <laughs> <laughs> really right, exactly. i'd be just like what knife doesn't like me oh that's too bad you know oh what knife wants to kill me well you know the whole empire wanted to kill me darth vader tortured me and job of the hut put a price on my head and here i stand so right what whatever oh, knife I- Knife hates me. I'm going to go sit on my big fat stack of money and have sex with a princess. Yeah, and, and I'll have a Wookiee in the next room, too, who's who's very protective of me. So Saying say gronk. Yes, exactly. He'll gronk your ass in the three pieces before I even have a chance to pull out, you know? <laughs> so Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um... There, there's something. There's a couple of this scene I really like. Now I'm seeing middle-aged. Now I'm seeing present-day <laughs> Princess Leia. <laughs> there's a Ford on top of her, going, smoking a cigarette, going, pull out. And he's got his earring. He's going, what? Jesus. What? Calista Flockhart's in the next room. Um, I like in this scene how they acknowledge, like they're talking, like the you know the the threat of the Nagai is really huge. And then they just straight up and I was like, well, they, they, they've really they've made very little progress against us. But, but still, we need to be really worried about them. Yes. Like, I'm glad they acknowledged that the guy really haven't been a, much of a threat yet. Well, that's... I get from a story point of view why you got to make them the bad guy, but I'm glad they acknowledge that not much has happened. Well, sort of like this comic book, the Rebel Alliance is sort of desperate for... They, they need somebody... <laughs> yeah, they clearly you know, they need somebody to hate. Yeah, you need you need some you, you need somebody to fight. Well, you know, not in like in real life if you were the real Rebel Alliance, but if you're the Rebel Alliance in a comic book, you you need an enemy. So they're they're ready. <laughs> they're, hey. uh, the, the Nagai are gathering. Uh, you know, if there were fifteen peop fifteen Nagai left, they'd still be like, what? They're 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 trying to reform the. This is the this is great. I mean, this is <laughs> the biggest threat that's ever faced us. Well, we've seen in you know in the real world, governments have, you know, manufactured wars just to keep the account their economies going and, and give them reasons to do stuff. So yeah, I could see you know potentially maybe the alliance is interested in that. And I do like how, like you mentioned, how Akbar tells Han, "No, you 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 can't just run off to this planet. You know, you're part of the government. The government doesn't say you can do that yet." I just thought that was nice. How. Our hero, the star heroes, are running into governmental bureaucracy. You guys mentioned it in a previous episode, where like the fat cats wanted to take control of the way things were going to be. This is the, that was the issue with Leia's dress and the the fabulous Zeltron boy review, where there's other folks out there who don't want to just follow the the alliance's rule. The other people right. want to control it. And here's an example of the government. Wanting to control the star heroes. Yeah, I'd be like, wait a minute. Star when, warriors. When, when all of a sudden does Admiral Akbar just? Well, I guess he's an admiral, so I guess he does go and just tell people what to do all the time. But things have seen pretty loosey goosey in the rebel. You know, when we first met the rebellion, they were just one, 
you know, one step away from having guitars, headbands, and a bong sitting around, you know, just like, <laughs> hey, man, come on, we're going to fight the Empire, you know, and now we've got, you know, Admiral Akbar just going, oh, no, but... I don't know. I don't know if maybe there was an element of whatever you do, Han Solo, don't go there, you know. Mm-hmm. We, f- we forbid you to go there because just telling... Because if I were Admiral Akbar, I would know if I really didn't want Han Solo to do something, I'd have to approach it more obtusely and or, you know, from more of a different angle instead of saying, you can't tell him, you can't do this. You know, that's that's basically just begging Han Solo to do exactly what you just that he shouldn't do. So, so are you saying that you think Admiral Akbar was trying reverse psychology on hand? Maybe a reverse psych maybe it's maybe not as much reverse psychology but a sort of way of un- of being officious and a leader but at the same time maybe not wanting to go you know to send you know maybe the best thing for him to do is in the context of a, a leader would be to keep Han Solo around for the the reasons he stated but if he's to run off and 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 a huff and go there and cuz you know i mean at this point you know if you send Han Solo or Luke Skywalker or even or Lando any of the crew they usually get the job done yeah, the so, shit's gonna get done exactly. So he's got. So now he's got Han Solo doing that, but he's got sort of you know bureaucratic, deni- you know accountability or deniability, in the whole thing because, you know, hey, he he acted on his own. We told him not to go. No, yeah. don't stop. <laughs> really, no, yeah. don't. Or we might have to ask you to stop again yes where'd he go <laughs> right, exactly exactly i'm gonna leave this room i'm gonna be gone for 15 minutes if you disappear during that time i can't stop you. i don't know where you could possibly have gone right so there, there might have been an element to that is the writing that complex yeah judging by the past no probably not i'm probably yeah, it's too probably much just more of <laughs> they're yeah. telling him no to show some drama so mm-hmm. To show that the heroes can't run off and do what they want. So, but you know, what can I say? I can't complain. There's, there is on page twelve. There is a Gronk. Exactly, exactly. So my last comment was that you know it's kind of nice. Luke is going from being the Jedi novice from A New Hope to here. He's he's somewhat becoming a master. I mean, he's he's got his failed apprentice, sort of, not really apprentice, but he's got his failed friend there of Shira Bri. He's got Kiro, who he's now agreed to help train. And then he gets this great scene of him working on the, the Nagai computer that is right out of uh, a Ben Kenobi reprise. Yes. I mean, it's so Ben Kenobi. It's just crazy. And it just it's a nice sort of touch. Yes. You know, I didn't really notice that until you say it. And even the way they have it drawn there, it's very much, you know, he creeps up to the cylindrical thing and messes around with it and then creeps away past a couple stormtroopers. He even makes a noise and yep. goes by him. It's very Kenobi. So, anyway. But good times, good issue. Yeah. Uh, really, really, you know, I enjoyed it. So, and it's a definitely a, a setup for what's to come. Yes, and now we're going to figure out we're going to get it all uh I'll resolve for us in the next issue because that's what they do in comic books. They continue <laughs> the story the next time. 
Isn't that right? Isn't that yeah. how that works? I mean, they're on a story arc. Wouldn't they do that? Right, sure. So, exactly. you know, I'm looking forward to see what Cynthia Martin's got for next for me. All what right. What kind of inker they got in it. So this this is uh, Star Wars number 98, August of 1985, another 65 center, with a painted Bill Senkevitz cover that's very weird that has a sort of, like, Rocketeer Han Solo on it. Yeah. Um. Um, so we've got Archie Goodman's the writer. Al Williamson does all the art. Ed King letters. Glennis Oliver color. Anne Nascenti is the editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor in chief. And as you know by now, from that roster, we're not looking at a continuation of the story. We're looking at something pulled out of a drawer somewhere. So yippee! It's a fill-in <laughs> issue. And we know what a great record Star Wars has with fill-in issues. Now, I'm going to argue that point with you on this one. I don't think it's as bad as the rep it may have or that you're going to give it. Well, let's let's take a little gander at the story here before, uh, (laughs) before you do that. This one is called Supply and Demand. Demand higher quality of your filling issues. Han Solo is oh, is tapped gosh. by Lando to to head a mission to uh, secure supplies from Vandalhelm, which wasn't that in a Seinfeld episode. So oh, he's geez. he's to transport some a pair of venerated ones from a former Imperial prison planet to to Vandalhelm. So uh, the the venerated ones they turn out to be a snotty young teen girl and her literally snot nosed little brother. Um, complications arrive when uh, Guild Master Orc conspires with some Imperials to uh, off the kids before they usurp Orc's power and control, and uh, they want to sort of set it up as an accident uh, where, where these two get killed and then fault the Alliance for it to curry favor for, for themselves. So, um, Han is co-piloting, is, has, uh, nine numb for a co-pilot because, uh, Chewie is visiting Itchy and, and Scratchy and Dopey and Mala and, (laughs) and all the rest back on. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, the spelling's really weird on it this time too. Yeah, yes. So they're, 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 uh, so, so for some reason, they've decided we want Nine Numb featured in this episode because he's such a dynamic character. He had some of the best lines from Jedi, too. So, uh, yeah. well, they got, they, they got an action figure out there, right? They need oh, to sure. play it up. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's true. So, anyway, on, on the trip, the girl's beginning to warm up to Han and, uh, and his adventurous stories when they come out of hyperspace at Vendelhelm and into a field of mined asteroids. But Han, of course, knows the drill and evades a trap. And they meet Orc. And, and uh, Orc talks about how the miners are a superstitious lot and they don't want to make any metal without the venerated ones hanging around on the planet. So Orc tells Solo that the kids must uh, go up and bless the caravan of ore ships that, that Han's going to lead back to the rebellion. So as they board the Falcon, Orc and some troopers sort of waylay Han and Orc grabs the kids. <laughs> he and the Imperial Admiral uh, Mortar 
plan to kill the kids so the miners will not work without their venerated ones, driving up the value of the ore on the barges. Okay, are we getting all this? Which they're going to run off and sell and use to fund their their own version of uh, the, the uh, new Imperial Army. But uh, the kids do a little bit of plucky fighting and... Uh, and they, they get away from Orc, and the girl uh, ends up basically blasting him as, as Han Solo is hanging from a cliff. So uh, Han, Han pilots the Falcon to Mortis's command ship, or Mortar's command ship, and, uh, and does a little tricky uh, trick where he dons a spacesuit before they land and rocketeers through the cockpit, w- cockpit window, and uh, uh, Mortar's defeated, but... Uh, he has his ship locked to uh, lead the other ships into the sun for a reason that's kind of a tangled plot thing that we could go into later, but I didn't want to write it down because it would just take too long, and ink is <laughs> ink is precious. So, since uh, Mortar was blown out into space, not sucked out into space, uh, Han doesn't have the codes to reprogram the ship to from going into the sun, but at the last second, Lando and the Rebels show up and they have the numbers to reprogram the barge fleet, and all is well. Um, yeah, I is this a is this a Lord of the Rings tribute with orcs and mortar and? Oh, I didn't even notice. I noticed orc. I did not notice. You know the the mortar. mortar. Thing. Yeah, that's funny. Eh, eh. I'm a big fan of Al Williamson's art. It's you know it's I wanted to say the first thing I wanted to say was eh, it's not the best example of Al Williamson's art, but upon second thought, it's really it's really actually pretty good. I think it's just poorly colored. I would like to see this in black and white to see, and maybe yours looks a lot better. It's pretty ugly in in my comic book. Uh, no, it's, it's 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 ugly in the reprint. I mean, the colors are of course a little stronger and little nicer because of the paper in the reprint, but they stick to the original color schemes that appear in the comics, and it's really garish. The the, the colors really um, bleed out a lot of the fine detail of his art in, in the comics. There's a couple, there's, uh, and once again, the pages aren't numbered, but there's there's a scene where Han's hanging onto the seat in the command ship as Mortar's getting blown out, and there's a, ship, a scene of the command ship with just, like, sunlight hitting it, and mm-hmm. it's just sort of a yellow and yellow and black and gold picture that's beautiful yeah but there's then you flip the page over and it's just sort of like al williamson art with like stamps of bright like admiral akbar looks like a brown blotch on mine and that that little kid is like bright bright red maybe i should make some scans to just show exactly how bad I it guess looks. they did fix some things. Now, one thing that comes... I don't know if it comes out well in that issue. Uh, is the, the the panel right below Admiral Akbar. Um, there's a hot chicken pink in the background. That, um, I wouldn't mind getting to know better. Why can't we have a story about her? Right. Um, Story-wise, eh, it's okay. The snot-nosed little kid could have been artistically played for more humor I think I would have made him a little more cartoony since he's a literally a snot nosed kid 
They have the one yeah. scene that, that could have been really amusing with him where he's biting Mortar's leg. Right. And, uh, but it's just not that dramatic. It, I would have had him like a little mad mag- magazine type of imp <laughs> from it. Well, I, I just don't know that's Al Williamson's style, though. Yeah, that's You know, true. it seems like everyone is so realistic or, you know, classic Prince Valiant or photo-referenced that it's just not his style to draw Maybe he wasn't the right character. artist for this story, then. Maybe they should have gotten um, somebody a little more funny. I think I think Al Williamson is always the right artist, so... Yeah, um, I'm, ki- I'm kind of with you there, too. He's but- <laughs> he's never the wrong artist. It's Al Williamson, I mean, for God's sake. Now, so, some real quick history on this particular issue. Now, do you write... I don't know if you know, the, the, the creative team there, Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson together... Do you know their history with Star Wars, right? Well, I know they did the Empire. And, yeah. And I don't know if Archie Goodwin wrote the Jedi. Um, um, off my top of my head, I don't recall. I think he adaptation. may have. But he, uh, Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson together is the team that did the, the daily comic strip for a long time, the mm-hmm. syndicated comic strip. So... Them together on a Star Wars comic is like a big deal because it's just that's that's their shtick, you know, working together. In fact, um, the 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 shipyards at Fondor that they're that they mention in here is where the story starts. That um, the first time it was ever mentioned was uh, uh, well, it was it was mentioned in two places earlier. It was mentioned in Han Solo at Star's End, which is the novel, right? But then it was mentioned in the comic strip. So they're pulling on elements of the old comic strip that they did together. In fact, you know, I, like you, I think you know that uh, Dark Horse reprinted the comic strips in comic book form. Yes. Well, they they went ahead and when they got done reprinting those, they went ahead and printed this issue of Star Wars, Star Wars number ninety eight, as a standalone one shot within that same brand. Uh, they call that brand classic Star Wars, which is what right. their the reprints of the the comic strip was. They reprinted a standalone issue of Classic Star Wars called Classic Star Wars: The Vandalhelm Vandalhelm Mission. Well, do you think this? You, you, do you think this might have been like something they drew for the? I mean, it's not laid out like a newspaper comic. Yeah. But it could have been cut up, and as I look at it, it's like they could almost have cut the frames up. You know what I mean? And. And trim them and and fit them into a you know, into this format. Um, it seems po- there's a lot of long strip like panels in here too, you know, or well, there's, there's a, sort there's of a lot of aspect ratio of a strip. But there's also a lot of really creative panel use, which makes me think that maybe rather than them have cutting it up and created the comic, maybe they. Um, Maybe Williamson had originally drawn it for comic panels, for comic strip, and then just redrew bits and pieces of it. Right, right. Because there, there's a few too many creative panel designs for me to think that this is lifted right out of a comic strip, uh, and too many details for a small comic strip square. That's true, in some too. Panels. Like if they blew it up, you're right. But I think he could have certainly, it could have been a story they were planning for the comic strip, and then they just said, well, you know, I, I don't know when the comic strip ended. I, I, I did a very quick research and I see the comic strip started in 79 but I don't know when it ended 
So it's possible that they just intended to do this all along and ran out of comic strip time and did this instead. Like when I first read it, I thought, oh, you know what? This is just a story they pulled out of the drawer. But then if you go back and you look, it's got Ninnum, it's got Akbar, uh, it's got Lando. So I mean, clearly this story was written and drawn after uh, Return of the Jedi. I'm thinking right after. Could have been. But you Could've see, been. I ha- I always have a negative feeling about fill-in issues because they make me paranoid about the regular issues. It goes, oh, you know, it's like, oh God, why are you know why are, are we held up a month? Are we going to get a new art? you know artist again or a new writer again or something what's going on you know yeah it always made us nervous as as kiddies sure yeah and and this one was probably especially confusing to kids because you know last issue han solo basically flipped the bird to the alliance and stormed out and it almost could pick up missions for him yeah and and it almost could fit in with okay here he's going and they're like we got another mission on you but then they're like, oh, well, Princess Leia and the rest of them are off having a meeting. And it's like, okay, well, that was, a me- you know, if that was, if it was continuous, it would have been the meeting he was coming to. And then the whole Chewy at home visit and the folks bit was, yeah. So it's obviously, yeah, out of, out of continuity. It's, you know, obviously a, a just a post, directly post Jedi story but what I, another thing i love about Al williamson is you're always guaranteed at least one or two big full spreads and this one it's with the supply you know with the opening it's like the page two and three is just a big spread full of spaceships yeah i mean the it. colors really screw it up but the uh it's a beautiful drawing mm-hmm. the i'd love to see this in, in black and white yeah yeah well, the blockade runner in the background, and the Star Destroyer, and the Mon Calamari cruiser, and then a lot of Williamson's own stuff in there. It just looks gorgeous. Well, you're also always guaranteed with Williams you're going to find some mushrooms sooner or later. Yes. Man loves, <laughs> man loves him some mushrooms, and sure enough, they show up in here. So that Mushrooms and lizard aliens. Yeah, exactly. Loves, exactly. Him, loves him lizard aliens. But, <laughs> but actually, um, you, you reminded me, the strip reminded me of another gloat story I have this month. Is yeah. uh, one of my friends, who's back in the North Country, was wa- out with his girlfriend walking in the woods. They're like, "Let's just walk through the woods," and they found an abandoned house Ooh, that literally creepy. that literally was still full of stuff, but no no doors on it. Mm-hmm. Still with everything in it, but from about nineteen eighty three eighty four. Was were there Nagel paintings paintings on the wall? I don't know if there were Nagel paintings on the wall, but there was Star Wars stuff in there. Holy crap! Yes, damaged. <laughs> sure, it's been sitting bit. in this house for thirty some years, and wow. um, he had a bunch of stuff. He had the Star Wars blueprints and and a, and a whole set of blue blue cards and uh-huh. um, yeah. all the stickers and everything. But what he gave me. Was out of the and and this is something I'm sure Scott, I think Scott used to have this hanging up on his wall was a full page spread from our daily newspaper, the Watertown Daily Times, with R2 and 3PO in full color, announcing that the Star Wars strip was coming next month. Oh wow! 
And uh, I remember seeing that and flipping the fuck out, like calling my grandparents, <laughs> like, "You have a subscription to the paper, right? You'll 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 cut out Star Wars comics for me every day in the paper, right? Sure." And I'd like call them up every day. You, you, you cut out the Star Wars comic, right? Right, Grandma? <laughs> I used to have to go to my grandma's to read it too, because um, they didn't have it in my local paper. So the only time I ever got to read it was at my grandma's until Dark Horse reprinted them, and I just I ate that shit up. Yeah, we couldn't find anybody. We lived so far out in the sticks, we couldn't find anybody to deliver the daily paper to us every day. So, oh wow. Yeah. You you, you mentioned the humor in this issue, and I really did. That's one aspect I liked about the story was there's a lot of good humor. I mean, the kid every time he shows up is sniffing. Um, you know, there's bits in here where Hansel is like, "Don't call me general," and then the kid to the kids, and then the kids piss him off, and he's like, "You should call me general." Yeah. You know, I mean, there's some fun back and forth with that. I enjoy that. The girl is, her age is a bit of a mystery. I'm th- from her actions. I'm thinking a teenager. Yeah, she I'm goes from exactly. being She goes from being snotty to like sort of having a little girl crush on him. Right. And I was, I was thinking, thinking if she was older than, to, yeah, fourteen to fifteen, sixteen. Yep. I'm thinking if she was if she was older, Han would be making out with her by the end of it. You know. <laughs> well, when she first showed up, I thought she was the kid's mom. Because she looks older, she doesn't look like like a right. young girl. Right, but then when she opens her mouth, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, and then in subsequent diff- frames, yeah, she does start looking younger as it goes on. Yeah, so it's like that actress. What's that actress's name um, from Natural Born Killers? The girl. Um. Yeah, she 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 like. Did a series of movies where she got younger and younger looking in it, and uh, 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 and like the max of that was where she maxed out on like aging backwards was uh, Dust Till Dawn, where she was probably like twenty six years old by then, and she was playing like a fourteen year old girl. Juliet Lewis. Juliet Lewis. Yeah. I can't stand her. Cannot. St- her. She 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 stopped aging backwards after a while, and now she's like just looks kind of weird. Yeah. Kind of weird. Well, let me ask you now, real quick. There's there's an interesting scene where Han knows he's going into a trap, so he flies the Falcon in, or actually he has Neenum fly the Falcon in, and he comes in in a spacesuit, like you said, a Rocketeer style. Mm-hmm. And then there's a there's some battles here with him and Mordru or whatever the guy's name Mordor. And then he even blasts out a viewport rather than cutting through a wall to demonstrate, you know, his use of the spacesuit. How did you feel about those scenes? Uh, a, I don't think that just some guy with a blaster can come, you know, smashing through the safety glass of a spaceship, you know. Fair enough. I, I I would think you would have basically like some sort of like eight foot thick see-through material or you would actually have a screen that just sort of looks like a window. This is gla- mm. this this glass is like a quarter inch thick. And okay, it's not super glass because he just like I don't think he did he even shoot his way in or did he yeah, he did. He blasted Yeah, he his, shoots his way in. Just shoots his way in with a blaster. I guess he would be inside of any shields and stuff like that. So it's yeah. plausible, but you would think when he would shoot in, the instant 
thing that would happen was everything would blast out of it. So you would shoot a hole in the window and you wouldn't come in the window like he does. You would sort of get blown backwards from all the air and atmosphere escaping. That's true. So by that's... the way, that, that I think the material is transparent aluminum, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear the formula for that was developed in San Francisco in 1986. That's that's right. Well, not obviously not because this is a galaxy a long time ago. Ah, true. Good point. Good point. Um, I just I was sort of torn on the scene. Like I thought it was clever, and I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, he knew it was going to be a trap, but he came in in a spacesuit. But then I started thinking, I don't know if that's a very Han Solo move, though. I like, I don't really remember him ever doing like a spacesuit like action. Like in anything, I can't. I, like I can't think of any EU it's stuff. It's more Indiana Jones, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Han Solo is more reactive than he is proactive, too. He's more of a you know, get into the situation and react to it, and let his instincts pull him out rather than like a set plan. So and yeah. that's more of a planned thing. It's, it seems it's, to me he would have flown the Falcon in and just tried to blast his way through or something. Yeah. Why not? When you're landing, he's landing the Falcon right in front of the that that window. If he can blast it with a hand blaster, he could just turn the Falcon's turrets on and go blah 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 blah. blah. And uh, right. I, I guess he was trying to. He didn't want to blast it because he wanted to take control of that ship to lead all the ore away from the sun. But at the same time, why make it a hostile environment for yourself? I don't know. It was, yeah, you know, I can overlook stuff like that. It's just. The whole, like, spacesuits in Star Wars, I just don't picture them as, as that kind of space movie for some reason. You know, it always seems weird. Like, the painting on the painting on the cover is, like, the weirdest rendition of Han Solo ever because it looks like his helmet is just solid and his face is painted on it sort of like the Master Control Program in Tron. <laughs> but it still looks yeah. like even it's Sinkevit, so it still looks like Han Solo, but it's just weird. Yeah, I don't like all the stuff where people have ended up floating in space in these Star Wars comics has never quite worked for me. But at the same time, it's also an excuse to see Al Williamson drawing classic old rocketeery, you know, kind of sci fi art, which. It, this always reminded me, and I know Scott is going to gnash his teeth when he hears this, but it reminds me of the old Star Trek comics, like the Whitman, you know, re, you know, the old che super cheesy Star Wars comics, where you would have these out-of-another-time-period out of elements to it. You know, it actually almost was was regressive in in, in the style of it. And that's yeah. what that's what I see whenever I see Al Williamson do Star Wars. It's halfway in the Star Wars universe and halfway like in the Flash Gordon universe. A, a lot of the stuff that he draws and and but a lot of Star Wars came from Flash Gordon. But it really looks like his Flash Gordon strips he used to do, you know, with different characters. Mm -hmm. And that's I love that. So I'm torn on the spacesuit. I don't know. I'm, I'm just overall grumpy about this issue because I want to see more Cynthia. I wanted to see what Cynthia Martin had next, and I wanted, and not as much. But I still want to see where the story's going. So and, and I totally still alive. 
I, I totally agree with that. I mean, you're absolutely right. It was. It sucks that the flow got interrupted. However, from my point of view, I would say if you've got to have a fill-in issue, you couldn't ask for better yeah. than the team that did the comic strip, Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson. I mean, in fact, I, I, ju- I did finally just now find when the comic strip ended. It ended in 1984. So this is almost like a nice bookend to the comic strip for people that had read it. It's like, oh, here we go. They get to do one last adventure together. You know, and it's got sort of that quirky style. So, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased with the fill-in issue. As, as a fill-in issue, it's, they certainly could have done a lot worse and have done a lot worse. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's for sure. Well, yep. we're, we're not on Mars this time anyway. At the, <laughs> and the, John Carter. Yeah, and or there's no Cody Sunchild in this one at least. So oh, we're, God, the thing was so bad. We're in good shape. We're in good hands. So bad. All right. Well, I think I do. Do you have any more notes? I'm pretty much nope. I pretty Tapped much said all I have to say about that one. All right. Well, now it's time. Time for adventure, Shag. Are you ready? I'm so ready. All right. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist's thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Alright, we have... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, number 6. June of 1983, we've gone back a couple years. Um... Beautiful kinetic cover by uh, Howard Chaikin and Terry Austin, which uh, who also did the art inside, which Yahoo, I'm all yeah. for that. Um, this one's sixty cents before the before the five cent raise in price. We got uh, Chaikin pencils, Austin inks. Um, story by Michelini after uh, uh, idea by uh, Archie Goodwin. Uh, Joe Rosin, letters. Bob Sharon, color. Louise Jones, editor. And Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief. All right. Um, we open up. Uh, Marion Ravenwood is opening a nightclub called The Raven in bustling downtown Manhattan with her saved-up ARC money. And as she is arriving to set up for the grand opening, a car careens off the road and onto the sidewalk, heading straight towards her. In the nick of time, co-investor in the club, Indiana Jones, knocks her out of the way. Marion chalks it up to a warning from Marco. Isn't that the same name as the gangster from, uh... No, that was Krakow in the piece of the action. Uh, Marco, a crime boss who uh, she refused to let invest in her club. Uh, He wanted to run a gambling ring from it. So... And the opening of the club, Marco and his goons show up for a nice steak dinner, and they sit right in the front row. And uh, the club is, is of course, decorated with lots of old antiques, and they're provided by Jamal, a semi-shady art dealer friend of Indiana Jones. And um, one of Jamal's ancient columns almost drops on Marion as she's giving her opening speech. And... uh, Jones and Marion have a little confrontation with Marco and his boys afterwards, and uh, more misadventures occur as Marion and Indy are almost killed in, uh, when the horse that there is pulling their buggy 
is hit with a, a blowgun dart and kind of flips out. So they decide to do a little investigating on uh, Marco. So Marion pays a visit to Marco, and uh, Indy uses uh, the distraction of this to break into his office and to look through his files. And while he's doing this, he's discovered and has to make a hurried escape out of a window. And uh, Marion then has to get out by holding one of Marco's rare opera recordings hostage. So they escape in a boat, but are pursued by another boat full of uh, curvy knife-wielding assassins. The, mm. the curvy knives sort of lead Indiana Jones to conclude it was uh, Jamal trying to off them, and a quick search of Jamal's house yields blasting caps, which Indy takes as a bad sign, so they rush back to the club to find Jamal preparing to blow the place up, and he's been smuggling treasure in the, in the, in the decor of the club. Um, we're going to go into his, his um, reasoning behind his plot later. I, another, another ink waster that I decided not to write down. Um, in his struggle with Jones, uh, the joint catches on fire, much like Marion's other club, and uh, Jamal is blowed up real good when uh, he, he decides to save his precious booty as the club goes up in flame. Outside, Indy comforts Marion with the fact that he bought insurance on the place, so it's not a total loss. Um, I think you described this in your email as being more fun than it really should have been. It's something to that effect. Like, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed the issue. Yes, I did too. Hey, it, uh, I forgot that Howard Chaikin did some of these issues. Dude, Michelini with a nod to Archie Goodwin, who I was just singing praises of, mm-hmm. Howard Chaikin, and Terry Austin. Oh my God, what a power team. This is the know? best looking issue since the first two with John Byrne. Now, I will say that, as opposed to the one before this, Indy does not look anything like Harrison Ford, but I don't mind. He looks like a 1940s kind of movie star, Yes, but not Harrison Ford. He looks like Indiana Jones, and Scott and I have discussed that before. He just has to look like Indiana Jones. There you go. That's a good way to put it. He looks like Indiana Jones, just not Harrison Ford, and that works for me. And Marion doesn't look anything like... Karen Allen at all, and I, I'm okay with that too. The only thing that gives her, the only thing that made me go, oh, okay, it's Marion. Well, it was that the club's called Raven, and that you saw the freckles underneath her eyes. That was like the, the giveaway, you know, the the who she was. As yep. far as giveaways go, I thought the story was a little weak because I knew Jamal was behind it from the very first frame I saw him. From yeah. the very first time, as soon as he opened his mouth and what was his line? It was just like. Oh, you know, uh, <laughs> I was just, wh- where is it? He, it says, Missy Ravenhood, Dr. Yes. Indy, I have just arrived and heard the big crash. Are you not hurt? Yeah, in, in, as soon it, as I heard that, it's just like, oh, yeah, dude, all right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I realize it's supposed to be his broken English, but, you know, it's also a telltale giveaway that, like, he was hoping you, they you, would you're be. not hurt? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it wasn't, uh, it was fairly transparent. Yes, agreed. Yes, and, and Marco was just too obvious of a mark. Yeah. But now I I what go ahead, I'm sorry. But it's a it's a Indiana Jones adventure, so whatever. I'm not looking for it all to I'm not looking for it to be too too deep. It but it does what it's supposed to, which it moves along. From yeah, one thing um, to the other. I, I, after listening to some of your all's previous synopsis, I kind of took a note from there. Like, if you look at the sort of like typical tropes of an, an action adventure hero, you know, you get them dodging a runaway car, 
you get a you know a really fancy club, which by the way is sort of foreshadowing the second. You know, again, mm-hmm. David Michelini foreshadowing the mm-hmm. future, the second movie. You get a runaway horse and carriage. You get uh, you know sneaking, breaking, and entering. You know, you get gunplay. You get a boat chase, which is again foreshadowing the third movie. You get the burning building, which is more of a, a reprise of the first. Yeah, movie it's it's like it, a it's like a, a rehash of it, but it's it's great because it has rele- it, It's 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 kind of ironic and funny, you know. Not really ironic, yep. ironic in the in the um, sense of um, oh, what's her name? That hack songwritress, songstress. Isn't it uh, ironic? Don't you think? Yes. Right. Right. I yes, got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yes. It's, and the final trope is you know Indy getting his ass handed to him he gets beat up a bit and and that's just kind of like it, it, while the scope of this story is very small mm-hmm. you know the last the last two-parter was this huge epic Raiders of the Lost Ark like story this one is nowhere in, as epic and yet they still manage to get a lot of the action adventure you know daring 1940s it's a cliffhanger sort of story yeah they capture exactly. the feel of the 1940s too I love yep. how they capture the relationship between Indy and Marion because they they they're they're in love. They're like they're they're showing Indy is like okay, he's and that actually sort of this could run in the continuity of uh, the Crystal Skull, you know, of their of their relationship. But I like that there isn't that um anger that was in it before. They're 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 um, very friendly to each other and working as a team. And this and it's it's really interesting. It's it's different. It's not as a simplistic of a comic presentation of how like Indian Marion act you know interacting together would go as I would picture it. I'm very All pleasantly right. surprised with these comics from my memories as a kid. Well, you you guys had mentioned that you you remember the series taking a huge downhill turn, and I remember the same thing. Quickly, in fact, I bought the only the only Indiana issue Indiana Jones issues I bought were number one and two, the John Byrne ones, because as a kid on the rack when the third one came out, I flipped it open. I'm like, uh, uh, uh-uh, I'm out. Yeah, I and, wanted one and two all the time. I wanted that yep. to keep going. Yeah, and I think you know what maybe maybe where your memory is this comic going downhill real fast was issue number three. And it's it's not really in your memory doesn't really trigger on four, five, and six, which are all pretty good. They're all pretty good, uh, yeah. Now I don't know about the Carrie Gamble issues, which start I think next issue. Uh, I've heard mixed things about those, so I don't know whether the quality stays up or not. But certainly four, five, and six are are well worth Indiana Jones type adventures. Um, the, in regard to the Marion thing you were talking about. I sort of see it as a continuation of the relationship from Raiders. I mean, the, it's not as caustic they're not you know as bitter at each other all the time however acknowledging the previous issues where indy's kind of got a romantic interest i get the sense that him and marion have a pretty open relationship i think he's in love with her but he's allowed to chase some other tail yeah, and be in, yeah and she the, could take a she could take a boy home from the club one night and he really wouldn't couldn't say anything about it right right well i i always got that yeah i always got that sort of Renaissance man, open-mindedness sort of thing from from Indiana Jones, very um, James Bondish sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Going, but it's two-sided. Like they're probably both okay with it. But what I like about this is is I really wouldn't have expected Marion to show up again. I would have 
been like figured that they would have been afraid to use her character because they don't know if she's ever going to show up in the movies again cuz this is this is you know pre Temple of Doom. Right. So they don't know what the status of of Marion's going to be. I noticed that they made sure that her club was gone by the end of this so it could you know <laughs> didn't you know they didn't have to marry her to manhattan in new york in a club for i didn't even think about in that in case of the movies because when you see i always think about that when i see stuff like this i'm like all right is the club gonna stand because that puts marion in a club and then you don't know what's gonna happen so maybe that was when they wrote it they said yeah she can have something but she has to end up with an open future at the end of it um yeah but uh I think that the you know there's there's a lot of if you start picking apart the story in this there's a lot that does not add up like you know the the art dealer's whole plot is ridiculously stupid it's like oh I'm going to I'm going to try to kill you guys but not really you know I'm not really trying to kill you but I'm making you think that people are trying to kill you so you go after Marco while I can just, why not just sneak into the club after hours and take your art stuff and go? Right. You know, tell, say, Missy Marion, I'd like to do some, you know, I'd like to come in periodically and wax the, you know, you know, wax the decor, <laughs> Care, wax the columns. Where goes. Um, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully. Wax but, my column. Yeah, I'm sure he could have arranged to be alone with his art for enough time to grab some you know booty out of it but instead he's got to set up this whole complicated attempted murder plot where he doesn't really want to kill him and and then the whole thing of like oh and then i'm gonna blow up the club at the end to hide my tracks that's just stupid yeah that's just stupid once all the stuff out of the columns then you just have columns with empty compartments in them so it's like why blow up the club it's just a good story element and then how's indy's insurance gonna handle this when they go well yeah, it did seem like a fire consumed the club, but why did you have all that dynamite in there? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> now, and that also, you know, that brings the thing into to notice that basically this story is saying that Indy's rich. Yes. Because he, he, he helped finance the club. He's got the insurance. He doesn't seem to have any cares in the world here. And I'm thinking, he's a college professor who probably spends most of his money out adventuring so I don't know that he was mm. – I, mean, I don't know that, that he wasn't either. I mean I don't think they ever mm. say his really financial status. Well, you're also though he's really smart and canny and he wasn't as ethical <laughs> of a of – a, even, even when he was quote-unquote an ethical um, adventure collector of art, he was still not – he did not follow – the real like what <laughs> rules of of archaeology you know he would you know grab stuff and take it and stuff so you know it's very plausible that um and when and at the beginning of raiders you know when he's showing marcus all the stuff he's like hey look at this i got this oh yes very nice very nice but we want to talk about this you know but yeah so he's going and getting that stuff they're paying him to go get that stuff so his professor salary yeah probably pays his rent and stuff but he's probably stocking socking money away from from that he's earning on his adventures so i mean uh, i i was wondering 
Marion's money from the Ark? What was that? Just, I, I'm assuming it's just like government payoff money. Like, you know, you're going to uh, keep quiet about this. Which means he got some, too. True. So, you know, uh, um, I would picture Indiana Jones having having some money socked away. Maybe even having some gold bars buried out in certain places in case he ever had found himself on the run, you know. That and, sort you of know, thing. Now that I say that, you know, you do get the impression in the third film that the dad and mom are wealthy. You know, because they're able to well, I mean, maybe it's I'm thinking of um young Indiana Jones Chronicles, that the the Jones family seems to be pretty well off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're traveling the world. You know, they've got a nanny, all these different things. So, actually, I guess the Jones family is probably pretty well off. So, maybe he's got some family money, too. There might be that, too. That aspect, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, one thing, I, I want to jump back to the art real quick. I mean, about Chaken, there's some really cool plan, panel design in this issue. Um, like, all the all the action scenes have great panel layouts. Yes. Like the one where the column's falling, and there's actually a just a cutout head of, uh, of Indy and his bow tie yes. know, floating over the panel borders, which looks great. Um, there's a lot of different shaped panels. Some of the pages, they'll cram a ton of panels on. Some will use a full width and then a lot of vertical panels. It just, Chaykin is, he just knows his shit. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and it's sort of weird cause they didn't word it as, as Chaykin pencils, Terry Austin inks. They were like Chaykin layouts, Terry Austin finishing. So I was thinking, well, you know, maybe Chaikin's signature style is not going to be as pronounced. Nope, no, it's there. I mean, the, the floating head of Indiana Jones with the pointy eyebrows and the mm-hmm. sort of way the, the shading over his eyes is, that's pure, that, that face is 100% Howard Chaikin. And, uh, and in those days, I wasn't as big a fan of Howard Chaikin's art. Now I really like Howard Chaikin's art. And especially around this time period, so this this was a, a great treat for me. Yeah. So this yeah this was very nice. But I, I, have, I have two weird little things just to note. On page three, now the, I know the pages aren't numbered, but it's the third page inside the book. There is there's a there's a shot of the top left hand panel, a guy hanging a banner. Mm-hmm. Alfalfa. He, that's kind of what I was thinking. Was Alfalfa? <laughs> I actually had to Google what he's singing because I didn't know. I'm like, I don't. know It's a that hit is. song of the day. Flatfoot Floogie with a Floy Floy. You never heard that song? It's in every movie from this time period. It's like the. It's you know. It's like Michael Jackson of its time. Flatfoot Floogie with a Floy Floy. Flatfoot funny you should mention it. It is a huge hit. You're absolutely right. Uh-huh. And Michael Jackson is one of the people that covered it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it says here that um, the song's been covered by musicians as diverse as Johnny, jo- Johnny and Jones and a bunch of other people that I'd never heard of. Uh, and Michael Jackson is the last funny. one listed. I yeah. swear to God I wasn't on the Googles. <laughs> huge song from 1938. So I didn't know that. But yeah, it looks like Alfalfa with Glasses mm-hmm. is, is the one who's looking at it so but it's the, those touches I mean they they really put those tu- the touches in of the time period in it you know um, especially on these two pages you know in the the club um, 
I just want to note the glasses that Marion's pulling off the tray to drink are 100% great. Those are bar glasses, like, from that time period. I mean, there's there's a... Maybe... Chaikin is... This is a good time period for Chaikin to draw stuff in. His art style really fits this time period. You got the picture of the three... You know, goons and the crime mo- boss sitting in the front row with their cigars, and everybody's got yep. a cigar and a cigarette. And yep. Scars on their faces. It's just, it's awesome. Marion's changing behind a, you know, a backlit ch- uh, changing. Um, yep. Screen. It's it's but classic. I really liked her portrayal, by the way. This I felt like they really captured the spirit of her character in this comic. Mm-hmm. More so even than Indy. I think that they really got her. So I thought that was good. And uh, you know, one other random thing. This is all I've got, really. It's just mm-hmm. after the horse carriage goes crazy and they're, they're recovering from it, there's a funny little bit. You know, the horse is standing there in freezing cold water. And just hanging out, yeah. Right. Nobody cares. And I do like at the very beginning of that panel, it actually says, after which, which I don't think is actually a word. Um, <laughs> You're right. It's like a sandwich, but it's after you're done with your sandwich. It it's sounds like some witch. character in some like kids like yeah, um, yeah. The after which uh, once it be after midnight, the after which comes out. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I felt like this was a fun issue. You know, I felt like it was. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting much going in because when I first started to read the issue. I had only listened to y'all up through you guys' commentary on issue number three. I hadn't listened to your commentary on four and five yet. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, here comes you know, some crap. So I figured it was you know, going to be just as bad as number three. And then I read it, and I'm just like, wow, this is great. And then I, then I listened to your commentary on four and five, and I was like, oh, okay. So there's, there's a few good issues in here. So And, and this weekend, I was at a, at a comic book shop at a Black Friday sale, and they actually had the omnibus of the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, which I've been strongly considering picking up. And I actually had it in my hand for quite a while, and finally I just couldn't bring myself to spend that kind of money and end up putting it back. But um, I'm, very, I'm very tempted. To, you know, if, if the subsequent issues are this good, I'm going to have to pick that up. Well, seeing as how I'm going to trust you not to to undercut, to throw me under the bus on this one, and, and knowing <laughs> that this episode isn't going to come out till the eBay auction's over... I'm watching an eBay auction right now with pretty much every issue. It's missing a couple in the 30s for 99 cents and $5 delivery. So it's it's only got a couple days left on it. So I'm hoping to get the pretty much the whole run for 5.99. That would be an awesome score. A lot can happen in two days on eBay, though. So. Yeah. My and, and and I actually went and was looking at those after reading this issue. I was like, and I'm reading this issue as a CBR, and I was like, you know what? I I really would like to have this as uh, as a real issue. I would I would like to have this as a real comic. I really like this. So, uh, you know, I I I, I well for five ninety nine, I won't complain if you know every issue after this is crappy. So, <laughs> yeah, crossing my go. fingers. Yeah. Price is right there. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna undercut you. So I'm gonna go out there and bid on it right now. <laughs> but no, this is this was enjoyable, and uh, it really got me in the spirit for Indiana Jones. I felt like I had a nice Harrison Ford filled series of comics to read. 
Yes, you're right. You're right, it was it was a very Harrison Fordy issue. The only other note I have here is just another um, series of panels I like. It's when Indy, Indy's going out of the Marco's window. And there's one frame of them taking some shots out of him, and two of the windows have bullet holes in them. Yeah. That that you can tell have just missed him, you know, and then they've and they sort of frame it really nice. You've got the the cross crosses, you know, cross hairs of the window with the two bullet holes and Jones firing at just an arm and a leg coming from around the corner. And then the shot of him coming out the window is just beautifully drawn. I just love that. Yeah, there's more bullets whizzing by. Bullets whizzing by and lots of nice broken glass. It's very, yep. very... Howard Chaikin's good at the at the kinetic stuff. And, and the only... Actually, I had one other art note, is when they're back in the carriage, he totally... When he has his glasses on and the fedora's like... He's got the fedora more in a... Um, tipped up, you know, with the brim tipped up. He looks like Clark yeah. Kent. Oh, okay. It's very Clark Kent, especially the, the scene where he's squinting and gritting his teeth reminds yeah. me of, like, when Mad Magazine used to do parodies of uh, Superman comics. I'd say, if you go to the next page where Indy's got the, the whip bridle, the bridle whip... Yes. That looks like a Walt Simonson panel. It reminds me of Walt Simonson and a little bit of John Byrne too. And I, I but I think it's the Terry Austin inking that's given it the uh, John Byrne yeah. for me. But yeah, very the way the way those four panels are laid out is very much like Walt Simonson would lay it out too, in like four, you know, um, or vertical triangles or rectangles, yeah. triangles. That would, uh, that would be an odd <laughs> comic frame. Right, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got for uh, for the adventures of Indiana. I still want to say number seven, but it's number six for some reason. I'm on number seven. I don't knock know why. it off. I don't know why. You're confusing the kids at home. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say the audience. You know, you got to give the audience what you want, what they want, and you know, the audience well, is your friend. But sometimes, you know, your audience. I know, and my audience knows, that they've been very naughty. Very, very <laughs> naughty. And sometimes they need some correction. Or at least at least to get poked around a little bit. So, yeah. Now, this is going into a very dark, weird place. <laughs> yeah. um, it's starting to creep me out. <laughs> Welcome I think with to that, <laughs> I think we're just going to say that, you know what, if we gave the audience what they really want... Uh, one of two things would happen. Either Scott would materialize or we'd shut yes, up. So yes, let's do exactly. the latter. Scott would materialize and tell us to shut up. Yep. So, <laughs> with that note. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Oh, I didn't even tell people where to find me. Crap, yes, I oh, dude, it. you didn't plug your stuff, and I didn't I didn't give you the opp- the end to plug I'm, your stuff. I'm terrible. So, okay, Shag, folks, what are you I... doing besides two, two freaks these days that anybody would be interested in? <laughs> Well, I'm not occasionally a semi-regular guest star, I guess is what you call that. That's what Letterman would call it. On True True Freaks, I am regular on a podcast called the Fire and Water Podcast. It's a podcast dedicated to Firestorm and Aquaman, and uh, it's a 
comes out about two about two times a month, three times a month, and it stars uh, myself and the guy who I run the Firestorm fan site and the guy who runs the Aquaman Shrine site. And we just chat about either the current issues of Aquaman and Firestorm, classic stories of Justice League, whatever we feel like. We also do a secondary podcast in the same feed, uh, much like how True True Freaks has multiple podcasts in the same iTunes feed. We have another one in the iTunes feed uh, called Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Wow. Which, is where, which is where we go through the, the classic DC series, Who's Who. We go through it issue by issue. <coughs> oh, Jesus. Page by page. Literally, every, every episode is one issue, and we cover all the pages in it. We talk in-depth about the characters and the art and the, and the write-ups and just have a grand old time. And a lot of people, surprisingly... There's a ton of people out there who are fans of the Who's Who series. I, well, it's, I mean, you mean your Who's Who series or the Who's Who series that you're doing, uh, that well, you're covering? Well, there's a ton of fans out there for the DC Who's Who series, which has translated into a lot of fans or listeners for our show, which has been great. Mm-hmm. We, get a, we get a lot of feedback. We get a lot of people's opinions on the that. So it, it, it's one of the... Well, I enjoy the, the main Firewater podcast. The Who's Who show has been a lot of fun, too, just because there's been a lot more audience well, involvement. It's well, great. think about it. It's a mixture of comic... It, it touches the part of your brain that likes comic books, trading cards, and encyclopedias. You yeah. Know, or, 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 you know, or some collect... Or a collection of things it puts in it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I imagine... And it's a great idea for a podcast because you're just skipping from character to character... And you gotta admit, there's some, got, there's gotta be some just fun, ridiculous characters that pop up since it's uh, everybody. You know, you have to get all those little weird fiddly bits. Yeah, like the yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun because you do, like you said, you get a lot of really strange stuff. So we've enjoyed it. Well, there you got your plug. There it is. You, you satisfied with this issue or this episode? Was it everything that that you dreamed of in the last couple of weeks? I know you lost a lot of sleep preparing and and worrying about this. <laughs> I've been I was absolutely <laughs> thrilled. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, any chance I can come on to talk about Pliff and Shira Bree is just awesome for me. I'll remember so, that. Hey, you know what? If, if you if you got Pliff and Shira Bree, you call me. I am there in a heartbeat, sir. Assuming the li- assuming the listeners don't revolt and tell you to get rid of me. Well, I'll probably be calling you back until we find out, you know, can, until we find out what happened to, until we either find a body or or hear a report from Scott Gardner. It's all up for conjecture at this point. And remember, yeah. send your your conspiracy theories to Two True Freaks, and we will, uh, I will put them on air. <laughs> <laughs> because the people have to know, man. The truth's got to come out, brother. That's right, sheeple. Wake up. Wake sheeple. up, oh wake up, sheeple. God. I've never heard that before. That is brilliant. First, they came for First, they came for Scott Gardner, and I did nothing. <laughs> then they came for Michael Bailey, and I did nothing. Then <laughs> Yeah. Never mind. That leads You're going to, to that weird place there again. There I go man. again. There I go again. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. <laughs> we'll be here all week. Tip your waitress. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent.
you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. 
You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Kid, I'm talking here. Hey, folks, it's your old pal Murray Clawhammer here. And boy, do I have some good news for you. The Hey Kids Comics Podcast is moving. As of January 1st, you can find your Hey Kids Comics Podcast on the Two True Freaks feed. That's at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Libson spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. I love this goddamn show. It's like drinking Earl Grey tea next to the Thames River and having scones instead of sitting in my mom's basement and drinking Dr. Pepper and and eating Little Debbie snack cakes. Anywho, thanks to some sketchily acquired photographs, Two True Freaks and Demanza Corp anticipate a long and fruitful relationship with Hey Kids Comics. And remember, come New Year's 2013, you can find your Hey Kids Comics at Two True Freaks. .libsyn.com L-I-B-S-Y-N They're British! This offer is void in the event of Mayan prophecy being accurate. Test, test, say duh. Yeah. Good luck.